in the morning. When you want the news, you need the front page every hour on the press box. Nothing's writing on this except the uh, First Amendment, the Constitution, freedom of the press, and maybe the future of the country. Not that any of that matters. And now, the news. The Celtics beat the Warriors 121 to 118 in overtime last night. The Celtics only led once in regulation during this game, and then they never trailed in overtime. Um, Celtics, by the way, now 34 and 12 on the season, best record in the NBA. It's only January 20th. They are the pick to win it. You think they're winning the yeah, title? I think they're winning the title. You? I, think, I think it's a good bet. They are. I think if, the East is hard to get out of. Maybe this is a dumb way to look at it, but the last two years, the the best team in the league is the Boston Celtics. Yeah. Right? Obviously, yeah, they lost the finals last year to the Warriors, Warriors, but the Warriors haven't been as good this season. Some injuries have played into that, but the Celtics, it was about this time last year where the Celtics just went on a ridiculous tear. Right, they were they were slightly above 500, I think, going into January last year, and then just from January to the end of the season, were just blowing everybody away, um, and they've kept that up going into this season. I, I think it's a fair bet. I also think it's a fair bet because a they've put a little bit of distance between themselves and Milwaukee and Brooklyn. I think it's four and a half or five and a half games from one to two in the East, and then the West. I don't know who's coming out of the West. Like I like. There's just a bunch of teams in the West. It some good be. teams. Some like, good I mean, teams. We talked about this yesterday. It's Nuggets, Grizzlies, Kings, Pelicans right now yeah. in the top four spots. The Warriors are hanging around. The Suns are out of the playoffs at the moment. Like, I don't know who's coming out of the West. I don't even know. It probably is the Grizzlies and Nuggets, but I think the Celtics are the safest pick right now to win the title. Yeah. And again, maybe a lot of things change because this time last year, the Celtics weren't dominating the league just yet. Uh, but... As of January 20th, they seem like the safest bet to do it. Could the Warriors come back? Yeah. They're the one team. They're just the one team that just keeps, continues to, you know, if I'm in the West, I said it yesterday, like I just wouldn't want to play them. Eventually it'll end, and maybe it does this season, but it's they have the potential to be the best offensive team in the league at all times yeah. because of the shooting they have and because of how Steph Curry essentially breaks your defense, right? The he can just launch it from 10 feet behind the three-point line. And how do you guard that? Plus launched it from half court last night. Right. Plus yeah, he did that at the end of the first half. How do you guard that? Plus guys that can cut and drive to the rim. It, you just can't. That's why the Warriors were so good. Cause that guy could shoot from off the dribble, off the catch, whatever it was from like 10 feet away from the three-point line. And you have to guard him because he's so good. I, I guess you guys talked about this yesterday, but is there something about playing in Memphis that makes players go mental? Uh, they're afraid of getting dunked on by John Morant. It's just no. I'm saying that like we or, had or the, good for the Grizzlies, like good saying. for the Grizzlies. Ah. But I'm like we had the well, the grind house. They just want to fight everybody, right? But that's is there just, something in the water where it's just like Memphis just wants to? Fight you live everybody. in Memphis. It's just like idyllic. Memphis and just nice. wants to fight the rest of the state of Tennessee. They don't even want to be in the state of Tennessee. They just want to fight the rest of them and claim that they're better. That's just it's just what Memphis is. They're ready to fight basically anybody at any time. Bob Squarepants. <laughs> the Lady Rebels beat Wyoming 71 to 57 yesterday. UNLV is now 18 and 2 and 8 and 0 in the Mountain West. Last year they went 26 and 7, won the Mountain West tournament, went to the NCAA tournament, lost in the first round to Arizona, but they are well on their way to going back to the NCAA tournament. I do wonder 
Is it? Are they possibly good enough to get in at large if they were to lose? That's the main point. I was thinking about this last night when I saw them win and they won nine straight. They are now a 12 seed in bracketology and they're 18 and two, eight and no, and nine straight. So I really think they'd have to be flirting with like what 30 and 30. Two. Yeah, they're, they're 59 and net on the women's side. That, and that that tells you about the league. Right. That's all that you need to know. They're 59 in the net, and look what their record is, and look what they've done. Yeah. They're 59 in net. Um, they're, Colorado State's also in the top 70, but that's basically it for quality teams in the conference. But, I, I mean, in all, seriously, if they were to, what do they have? They were flirting with 30. They have 10 more Mountain West games. Right. So, let's say, you know, they finish 17-1 and one in the Mountain West, and let's say that they lose the Mountain West final. So, and they're 30. That well, means they're near 30. Yeah, that gets them to basically a 30 and 3 record. Surely they're in, right? If you're 30 and 3 or something absurd like that, and, yeah. and you're because their net will be around the 50s most likely if they go, and it might actually be higher, but their net won't be 102. Their net will probably be like 52 or 40 even. I think you probably get in if your record's that ridiculous and you're. Your uh, the metrics are passable, despite not despite how bad good. your league is. Yeah, but if your metrics are passable and you're thirty and three, I gotta feel like you 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 have to reward that. You don't have to, but I feel like you have do to reward some, that team. Do some men's team with thirty ever left out in some small conferences? I don't think with thirty, because normally normally they don't get to thirty, because normally they they don't win enough non-conference games and they to get, there. get beat in their conference tournament, right? Normally, I can't think. I'd have to go back and actually look, but I can't remember a team having like a thirty and two record and, and not getting in. Yeah, because because even when your even when your conference isn't good, if you go seventeen and one, you're you're gonna be top fifty in most metrics just because that's a fairly absurd record to have. So I can't think of it in men. So I think they'd be good. Now we're obviously talking about them winning like eleven of twelve games to finish the season. That's very hard to do, but if they do it, I think they've got a should have a legitimate chance to get in as an at large. I uh, what was the question again? I'm sorry, I just got <laughs> the Bills, Titans, Jags, Chiefs, and Patriots will host international games in 2023. Kansas City and New England are hosting two games in Germany, while Tennessee, Buffalo, and Jacksonville are in London. Raiders play road games next year on the schedule. Kansas City and Buffalo. You think they're getting a game in uh, Germany or I'll London? Raiders at Kansas City <gasps> in Germany. Look at that. Man, that's going to be a long car drive for you. <laughs> you going to Germany if that I happens? I have no idea. Ah, get him in? <laughs> I have no idea. Get Ed in Germany. You are calling into this. Show. I don't care what time it is. Well, it'll be oh, like, no, it'd be better for me. Be like nine at night. Yeah, it'd be better for me. You are calling into this show. From Germany. From Germany. <laughs> they made me drink beer with every meal. It was breakfast. <laughs> I've had sausage seven straight meals. It's just sausage and beer. <laughs> Silence. <laughs> Loyola Marymount beat Gonzaga 68-67 to last night. Two streaks that got snapped. First off, Gonzaga had a 76-game home winning streak snapped last night. And Gonzaga had beaten Loyola Marymount 25 straight times until they lost last night to Loyola Marymount. We seeing the slippage that people have waited for? Well, okay. Yes. But here's like the here's how good Gonzaga's been. They're 16 and 4. 
They're five and one in the WCC. They're 14 in Ken Palm. And we look at that and say, oh, they've slipped a little. Because just to give you, here's their Ken Palm ranks since 2017. First, 10th, second, second, first, first. Like they've been the best program in college basketball for six seasons or whatever that is. Granted, they haven't won the title, but they've been the best. And when they flip and they're just a top 20 team, we're like, oh, they kind of suck now. When in reality, they're having as good of a season as basically most programs could ask for. I agree with you after last night. 76 is going to be hard to beat for a while. Oh, well. I mean, teams, college basketball is so even now across the board for so many leagues that 76 straight home wins. And the, the Gonzaga's in a very different circumstance than most of the best teams in college basketball because they play in the WCC. Sure. Right? Gonzaga's on the level of Kansas and Duke and Carolina and Kentucky and all this. But they get to play, but their home games are Loyola Marymount, Pacific, Portland, Santa Clara. That. Whereas, you know, Kansas could be or is as good as Gonzaga, right? But Kansas has to beat Big 12 teams. Well, yeah, Big 12 teams, which we'll see what that looks like in the future. But they've got to beat Big 12 teams to do this. Kentucky kind of sucks right now, but they've got to beat SEC teams to do it. So it probably won't happen unless it's Gonzaga doing it again right, in the WCC right. over the next seven or eight years. Those are great. That's that's oh, another great question. The wrong sound. John Harbaugh really wants Lamar Jackson back as the Ravens quarterback. He said, quote, 100%. You know, 200%. Lamar Jackson is our quarterback. He's been our quarterback. Genuine question. Ravens do a press conference yesterday. GM Harbaugh are up there saying all these great things about Lamar Jackson. They want him back. Whatever. Was that just a public-facing set of comments so that when Lamar Jackson doesn't sign whatever contract offer they give him, they can say, we wanted him back, we made the offer, Lamar Jackson is the bad guy who wouldn't sign with us? Well, yeah, because what were they going to say when they were asked about him in a a news conference? They were going to say this. Yeah, they weren't going to say that. (laughs) So they were going to say all the good things about him. I still think, like I said, I said it yesterday, I still think they're going to tag him. And... That would not be good for them because I don't think he shows up at that point. Yeah. So, and which again, that allows, I don't know how many fans would go for it, but I do think that could be the Ravens trying to set up Lamar Jackson for, oh, we offered him a contract. We love the guy. We tagged him. He's going to make, what's the tag? $40 million or yeah. something like that. He's it maybe might be 50. He's going to make so much money on the tag and he's not showing up. He's the bad guy. Sure. Don't blame us. Blame Lamar sure. Jackson. I do think that's what a lot of this is from the Ravens and it might not even be unfair because Lamar Jackson, maybe he should show up if he gets franchise tag, but I'm, it's a fascinating situation where it appears as though Lamar wants the fully guaranteed deal that Deshaun Watson got. Only the Browns have been been the only team to do that. So I doubt the Ravens do it. And what happens next? Because the Ravens surely can't go in the next year with Tyler Huntley as their starting quarterback no. if Lamar Jackson isn't willing to play on the franchise tag. At one point, you said that they should just... They do- should do that. They should have. But then he sucked. <laughs> Tyler Huntley looked good for like three or four games. And it was like, yep, dump this Lamar Jackson guy. Give me Tyler Huntley. But nah, now he's bad. Just draft Anthony Richardson. Do it with him. Lamar Jackson is our quarterback. Everything we've done oh, good timing. in terms of building our offense. That's why I was so team, mad. Uh, how we think in terms of people and put people around him is based on this incredible young man and his talent, his ability. Do you remember this story from the regular season? 
Cam Jordan of the Saints got fined $50,000 by the NFL for faking an injury. But after the game, he had an MRI that said he had a midfoot sprain. And the NFL, this was public information at the time, the NFL still fined him $50,000 for faking an injury despite him having an MRI that said he had a foot sprain. Cam Jordan appealed it, and he won that appeal that he shouldn't have been fined for faking an injury because he sprained his foot, and I assume had the proof, hey, here's the MRI results, I have a foot sprain. Boy, I didn't get this at the time, and I don't even get it anymore. Right. What what level do they have to go to that they believe someone faked an injury? When, I mean, when the doctors are saying, no, he didn't. Yes. I mean, are you kidding me? Like, th- there's a level of, it's it's more prevalent in college football, but there's a level of players faking injury, defensive players faking injury to stop the offense from going up-tempo or whatever it is, right? There's a strategic advantage sometimes to when your defensive player gets hurt. And it's absolutely happened in the NFL and a lot in college football. So I understand where the NFL's coming from when it's like, oh, that guy clearly faked an injury and it gave his team an advantage. But how the hell did they find the guy after he had a... like? If they had an MRI, the doctor like, said he had something. Right. I do, I do not understand how the NFL find him when there was an MRI that said, oh yeah, he sprained his foot. I, I don't... I don't know. I don't get that. I also don't... I don't understand how you can accuse someone of faking an injury because I... I just watched the video of Ray Lewis saying, yeah, I tore my bicep off the bone and stayed in there for another five or six plays. So, like, this guy could have, like, ripped up his foot. And he's like, "Ah, I'll still keep. You know what? Now it's too painful. It's dumb. And here's the other part of it. Because the NFL is trying to make sure players don't fake injuries to gain this advantage. They don't just find the player. They find the team, right? Dennis Allen, the head coach, got fined. His position coach got fined. And then the organization itself got fined. Um, All of that, by the way, which was interesting in the story from NOLA.com about this, there's a whole separate appeals process for all of those fines. Well, how are they going to hold up any of those if they didn't uphold Cam Jordan? Right. I assume they won't be upheld, but it... It's a separate appeals process. So Dennis Allen is out here with a $100,000 fine. And he's going, now I got to appeal it too? Cam, he just won. Why do I have to appeal it too? All right. Coming up next here on ESPN Las Vegas, we'll jump into some UNLV basketball as they might be getting some needed reinforcement. Now Keyshawn Hall on him. Go! Throws it out top to Bearstow, back to Ashworth. Ashworth in the lane, spins, has it knocked away, but it rolls to Aiken. And then Aiken. What? They say they a foul on Keyshawn Gilbert. Or no, they call it on Harkless, and that's his fifth. That is an absolute. He's not even there. He's not even there. there. He's not even there. And the Rebel coach is making the point to the official that EJ Harkless wasn't even there. And they're not going to change it. And Harkless fouls out of the game. Harkless fouls out of the game on a play where he wasn't near where the foul was called. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. UNLV plays tomorrow against Fresno State. You can hear that right here on ESPN Las Vegas. Game starts at 3. Pre-game will be at 2.30. Mike Grimala reporting yesterday what could be some good news, some needed news. Eli Parquet returned to practice. He has not played since December 10th. In the eight games that Eli Parquet has been out, UNLV is two and six. Um, 
Is it too much to say Eli Parquet changes the trajectory of the Mountain West season for UNLV? The Mountain West season? I yeah. think the trajectory changes because they're about to play some bad teams. <laughs> we think, are going to think, think that the trajectory changes. We are going to think Eli Parquet is it's the like, most important player in, in the team last decade because they go 10 and 0 and then he gets hurt and they go 2 and 6 and now they get Fresno State, Wyoming, home game against Nevada, Colorado State, Fresno State, Wyoming. They play three of the bottom four teams, make up five of their next six games. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he's going to be, if he, if he, and I, I hope the kid's healthy and he stays healthy. Uh, he's out a long time, though, so we'll see when he comes back how healthy he really is in terms of the injury. But yeah, if they start turning around, we're going to say, this guy, man, this guy was the answer. They probably won't win them all, but there is a chance they could go 6 and 0. In that stretch, yeah. because of the competition and the one, the tough team is Nevada and it's it's at home. There's a chance that we could be about what is that, three weeks from now, where UNLV is 16 and 0 with Parquet in the lineup and <laughs> two and six without well, Parquet in the lineup, which will be a tremendous stat if that's the case. Then they finish the year with San Diego State, San Jose State, Boise State, Air Force, Utah State, Nevada, and. Uh, they'll probably lose some games with Parquet in the lineup, assuming he's back then. But here is here is the good news for Parquet being back. He was their primary on-ball defender. That was his role. He was very good at it. I think the defensive slip that we've seen from UNLV is largely due to playing better teams in conference play than they played in the non-conference. But some of it also has to do with Parquet being out for eight straight games and him being one of their most important and one of their better defenders, um, that's going to make a difference. Now, how big of a difference would it make? Would they have won one more game or something like that if he had been healthy this last eight games? Probably. Uh, but it's probably not a mat. It's probably not a, oh, they're still, you know, 17 and a, or one or whatever the hell right. the record would be right now if they kept winning. So I think it matters, but it's not really a complete game changer. I am curious to see. Minutes distribution. First off, is Parquet on any sort of minutes limit coming back? That's certainly plausible. But we've seen Harkless playing a ton of minutes. We've seen Luis Rodriguez playing a ton of minutes. We've seen Keishon Gilbert get benched because he hasn't played very well. But when he's playing well, he plays a ton of minutes. I'm curious if any of those are noticeably decreased because, hey, Parquet's back, and that's another guy to eat up some of the minutes while giving you high-level defense. Yeah, I think you make the best point, though. For he, for as long as he's been out, he might be on a minutes restriction to come back. Yeah. I don't think he's coming in and playing 30. I mean, he must be really healthy if he is, and I don't think he's going to be. <laughs> December 10th's been a long time, right? If it was Bruce Cassidy, Bruce Cassidy would say, well, he's been out for a while, so he can play yeah. the whole game. Don't be a passenger, Eli. <laughs> don't be, be a driver. passenger. you got to be the driver. So... Parquet could be back again. He was just practicing. Return to practice doesn't mean he actually is coming back for this game. Here's um, an interesting thought for you. Interesting stats. EJ Harkless this season. His offensive rating is 98.9. 100 is average. So EJ Harkless as an offensive player this year is a slightly below average efficiency offensive player. But E.J. Harkless has the second highest usage rate in the Mountain West at 33.9%. To give you some extra context on that, Bryce Hamilton's usage rate last year was 34.7%. 
So this season, UNLV is giving Harkless, who's a below-average offensive player, essentially the same workload they gave Bryce Hamilton last season. Do they need to change that? It's hard to change with DJ Harkless because you don't know if it's the half he's going for 30 or the half he's going for zero. <laughs> so it's hard to take him out of the game because this might be the half he goes for 30, right? I mean, you just don't know. Now, if he misses his first four shots, you're like, oh, this is the half he's not going to score much. Sit so him you, down and bring him back for the second yeah, half. Exactly. You bring him back. <laughs> I think UNLV needs to – Harkless should have a smaller load on offense. Now – the problem with saying that is the follow-up question. Well, okay, who takes on a bigger bigger load on offense? The easy answer should be Keyshawn Gilbert, but he hasn't been very good. He's been better recently, but Keyshawn Gilbert hasn't been very good, basically since Mountain West play started. If he's better, if Keyshawn Gilbert, because the last couple games he's been attacking the rim a lot more. If he's better, Gilbert should assume a bigger role on offense. But the interesting part to me, and so one game sample size, not necessarily going to carry over, but Jordan McCabe and Keyshawn Hall were both very effective against Utah State. Mm-hmm. UNLV got two points and 13 minutes out of EJ Harkless against Utah State, and it was their second most efficient conference game of the season on offense. They still scored when Harkless was on the bench. I think there's reason to believe you can find some points from other guys. We've seen Justin Webster have some big games. We've seen Luis Rodriguez have some big games. Jordan McCabe, by the way, shooting 43% from three in Mountain West play. Webster's shooting 50% from three in Mountain West play. They're getting good production from those two. And then Keyshawn Hall, who just went for 19. We've talked a lot this week about the defense. Defensively with him. But offensively, there appears to be something there. I think there's enough from the other guys that you can limit you can, the you usage can rate. You can pull back on Harkless, and it's not a Bryce Hamilton workload. It's a small, it's a more reasonable workload because he's he's not Bryce Hamilton. He's not anywhere close to as good as Bryce Hamilton right. offensively. He shouldn't be getting that big of a workload. I think there's enough on this roster that you can pull. Harkless is still going to be the number one guy. You need a bucket in the last minute. Harkless is going to be the one taking that shot most of the time. But throughout the course of a game, pull back a little bit. Let you know, McCabe or Hall or Webster or Rodriguez or Gilbert take a little bit more of the role because Harkless simply isn't efficient enough to give that big of a workload to. All right. I'll go with that in terms of, but we'll see what Keyshawn Hall can do his second game. Right. And I will say this. Follow that up. Utah State is not a great defense. That's a great offensive team who's about average on defense. Keyshawn Hall is probably not going for 19 and efficient 19 against hell. He might not even do it against Fresno state because they're 91st in defensive efficiency. So boy, they play slow, very slow, 332 in tempo offensive efficiency with you a little offensive efficiency for Fresno state 275. Yeah. Play slow and can't score. Can't shoot. Can't can't score. Plays really slow. slow. God, that's an ugly team. How did they beat New Mexico? I have no idea. I don't even want to watch this team play. I have no interest in watching Fresno state play basketball, but let's do it. On Saturday at 3 o'clock. Coming up next here on ESPN Las Vegas, Lindsey Brown. This is the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff. Featuring All-American Lindsey Brown. It's All-American Lindsey Brown. There she is. There she is. Oh, God. I hate it, but I love the Seth Meyers bit. That's a great bit. Uh, Jared, just so you know, the last time you weren't here and Lindsey was, she had to explain to Ed why she was All-American Lindsey Brown. He didn't, he didn't know what an All-American is? <laughs> no, I knew All-American. I think I asked her 
No, I think I was overly impressed with All-American, right? I was. You said you were proud. You were like, I'm yeah. proud at this moment. Yeah. I will carry that proud. for at very least proud. another two weeks. Yeah, Lindsay's been living off that high for a month now. <laughs> <It's> very proud. <laughs> well, I got to get it from somewhere because it's not watching hockey in T-Mobile Arena, my friend. All right, hold on. We'll get to that. It's also not from the Minnesota Vikings in the playoffs. I've already moved on. I mean, we're we're so good at the rinse repeat. The <laughs> second that that game ended, I was just like, oh, it's a great thing because we're on a floating rock and nothing truly matters. Like, that's, that's the level of disassociation that goes with this team. So, there's always next year. And as uh, we've talked in recent weeks, at least the Packers didn't make it. So... That's a, that's a nice little <sighs> consolation. The uh, the Ken doll fired his DC. You're good with that. I mean, I'm fine with it. I'm concerned with I'm I've become convinced that especially in the NFL, if you don't win the Super Bowl, somebody's going to get fired. And granted, he wasn't very good at his job, and so like it's okay. But that was a transitional year at best. I mean, they called that a retooling year, and then they went whatever they did, thirteen and three, and so I. I get it that a lot of people are a little bit disappointed in that the defense was a, a little bit of a, of a struggle, but uh, I, I don't necessarily always believe that. You know what? We failed in the expectation of, of gaining everything, so something must be wrong and we have to fix it. Sometimes there, does, there doesn't need to be any fixing. They're going to transition to a third-place finish in the NFC North next season. Um, now, perhaps here's a, here's a question for you. Bruce Cassidy talks last night about uh, people being passengers, that he needs more drivers like Jack Eichel. Um, Three games without Mark Stone. Jack Eichel hasn't been very good, except for when he shoots it off of William Carlson's skate and ends up in the back of the net. Um, Did you see the stick twirl with it, too? He was so proud. You should be. Absolutely. It's a great play. So what should be the expectation here on Jack Eichel? How much should we expect him to dominate, just be good, just be average when he's playing with, you know, Kessel and Stevenson or the game before it was Cotter and Wall. Like, what should be our expectations on Jack Eichel when he's not playing with Mark Stone? Well, I wouldn't expect him to dominate, but I would expect him to be more of a presence. Like, this guy gets, I don't want to lead with the, he gets paid a lot of money, because that's a BS thing to go with, because ultimately they're playing a game and, and, and that shouldn't really dictate anything. But there are times where I don't notice him out. And, and that's hugely problematic for a guy as skilled as he is. Like, if you can bank a pass off the skate of William Carlson, totally on purpose, obviously, <laughs> and then do a little stick twirl, you're like, so why, why can't we drive the net a little bit? Now, I think maybe he's dealing with being banged up. I mean, who isn't at this point of the season? But there is absolutely no penetration for this Golden Knights team on the inner part of the offensive zone. And they can't even stay in the offensive zone. They get it. They turn the puck over on the boards as they get about 15 feet in, and then it goes back up ice. It's just it's awful hockey that you're watching to a degree. And I have it here in my notes. It's my best note of that. Intellectually stunted hockey decisions being made by some of the biggest names on this team. And it's not all on Jack Eichel. The only line that was really able to get anything positive going was the Misfits line. But when you open up the game with a 2v1 and Bill Carlson opts a pass when the pass wasn't an option, I'm just like, this, this team is in the dark tunnel. The dark tunnel comes for everyone, and the only people in the room really know how to get out of it. And sometimes it's just hockey luck like that goal that went off of William Carlson's skate. We just throw it and it happens. But I don't think they're doing the right little things. I don't think they're paying the price necessary to expect good things for them to happen on the rink these days. All right. So if you 
if you agree that the, let's keep the misfits line together, you've seen a bunch of players play with Eichel. If you're Bruce Cassidy, who are the two best uh, wingers to play with him? If you were making the lineup up, like who would you play with him at this point? Well, I'd put him with Stevenson because Stevenson can can skate, but he's been a ghost as well. But you're not expecting as much from him. But you expect at least to, for him to bring out uh, uh, expediency to that line. And then, I mean, the only guy that's really consistent on a night-to-night basis right now is Paul Cotter. Like, I think he would be better suited but to be with Jack, but maybe he's better suited for somebody else in the lineup because you can't just stack this line because I don't think, or I don't know if you guys noticed, that fourth line last night was a little rough. And, and that's the adversity they're facing right now. They don't have a lot of depth in their lineup, and so you're, you're having to kind of finagle this, and Bruce is changing these lines. You know, every two seconds, I guarantee you, he's on the bench going like, all right, nine, eight, 19, go now. And, and, and just depending on how things are, are playing out and how these guys are playing. But I, I completely agree with, with Bruce Cassidy in terms of the effort. Like, we think the effort means that these guys aren't working hard. I mean, even Petrangelo was talking about in the locker room last night. I got some drama to get into that with you guys as well. Um, but it, it's working in the right way. It's playing smart hockey. It's not doing a backhanded lateral pass through the neutral zone like Nick Hag did last night. Like, that's not even going to work in peonies, my dude. But that's just indicative of a mindset on an individual and a team that's trying to do too much and opening their wounds further than they need to be. What's the drama? Well, yeah, give us the drama. So, you know, it's we get one player at a time. Yeah. And this they is after decided the game. to put us right next to the giant refrigerator with all the special waters and stuff. So that little thing is going on in the background. Like, there's literally a whole room we can go anywhere else. But as um, Carlson was talking, because we got Carlson and Petro, you know, people are going in and out of the little door right there that's to the back room where they all go hide. And Logan Thompson kind of came out in Uh-oh. a suit very quickly Uh-oh. after the game, storms through and left. I was like, oh, that's an interesting pep to the step. Uh-oh. And then a few seconds later, the door appears, and this little face emerges. Not a very happy face, guys. And it's Kelly McCrimmon. Uh-oh. So, oh, uh, yeah. No. oh, yeah. So Kelly McCrimmon is down there in the post-game you know, debrief that they do in that back room. So I'm guessing some choice words were said, but um, you know, it's there, there's there's a tension in the air right now. Let's just say that. Uh-oh. Did McCrimmon talk to the media? That usually happens. Certainly not. <laughs> Come on. I thought he would have held no a impromptu uh, press conference right there. Come on. Yeah, yeah. What so you- I, I, people are getting nervous, and and they should be because they're this was supposed to be a home stand where you're playing some of the best teams in hockey, and I get it if you drop a game to the Edmonton Oilers when they had an unbelievable game against the Tampa Bay Lightning last night, like the premier hockey. The Golden Knights couldn't find a goal that hit them in the face right now, guys. But hopefully everything will be fixed. No, they found one that hit them in the skate. Just aim for the skates. It'll go in. I love the accidental goals. They're almost just as good as the accidental saves. Yeah, that's why I tell you hockey's dumb, like, all of the time. Hockey, there's just not the ultimate element of control. So yeah. you got to let that go. you got to let it go, Tyler. Just let it flow over you. Whatever it is, the good, the bad, the ugly, it is what it is. Uh, how long have you owned the Snuggie that you're currently wearing? Uh, I got it probably two and a half years ago, and I had it oh. uh, in my previous employment. And I used to sit in it in the studio when I kind of needed to chill out because my sensory system gets a little bit frazzled sometimes. But now since I brought it home, once I put this on and I sit in my recliner, it's over for me. Like, I, I'm not getting anything done. I'm going to be passed out within 20 minutes. It's one of the best investments I've ever made besides my Moon Pod chair, which is, you know, just a $500 bee bag. 
Okay, two two quick follow-ups. Is it a weighted Snuggie? No. Okay. Have you had a weighted blanket before? I, I sleep with one every night. Okay. I need a new one. All right. You guys got any spare change? Oh, yeah. Wait, what's the, what's the poundage on that bad boy? Uh, I think it's 22. Oh, okay, that's not bad. But I don't sleep with it on me. I Because I want to be as close to suffocation as possible when I sleep. So I have about 15 pillows, two body pillows, three different blankets. And it, 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 it situates on top of one of the body pillows because I don't want it too much on me because sometimes it'll be on my legs and then I'll sleep crooked and then my back hurts. Slight, slightly off topic. I think it was a TikTok a while ago of somebody throwing a weighted blanket on somebody like rounding a corner and it just knocked him straight down. Like that person oh, had to I have bet. gotten a concussion. Oh, I bet. These things are weapons. Oh, yeah. You choose them. Could you imagine like a pillow fight scenario where you just pick it up and it just, when it, some it's of the bees gather pounds. in one of the corners <laughs> and you just whip it, like you could decapitate someone. My favorite thing ever is uh, my roommate once put it in the dryer. And all, like, basically, we had our neighbors from upstairs come down and we're like, we thought you guys were fist fighting. <laughs> you can put these in washing machines. I need to wash and I've been scared. So I maybe I'll, maybe I'll try that today. Maybe that'll be my, my time to do Don't use the dryer. Do what we do. Hang it oh. up. Ed, it's 22 yeah, well, pounds. It'll hang take that a baby year. up. That'll be, that'll be done in a month. Yeah, well, Ed, we can use your dryer for abuse because uh, <laughs> otherwise, I don't know if my kid would stand it because I use it so often. That's a fresh legs in your appliances. Yes. All right. She's Lindsay Brown <laughs> hiding under a Snuggie. Lindsay, we appreciate it. Thanks, Lindsay. Yeah, have a good weekend, guys. You too. Oh, 22-pound weighted blanket. Those things are a little scary. My son had one. It was quite heavy. Yeah. Okay. Quite heavy. And and they're awkward. Like, it's 22 pounds, but it's, you know, it's a yeah. it's a blanket. So it's it's very awkward to pick up unless it's folded. See, and I'm sitting here. I, the one I have at my apartment is 30 pounds, and my parents are like, "Yeah, we got a weighted blanket too." And I'm like, "You got a 10 pound blanket? This is nothing. This isn't even. <laughs> you could barely like you could breathe under this. This is not what this is supposed to be. Not fun. Don't want one of those. All right, we got tickets to give away. If you want to go see Carlos oh. Santana, 702-364-1100. That's the phone number. We got a pair of tickets to go see Carlos Santana. Call in now, 702-364-1100. You'll win a pair of tickets to go see Carlos Santana. Uh, be caller number. Jared, what number you want to do? Seven. Seven. And you'll win tickets to go see Carlos Santana. I wouldn't use the word challenge. You got a, a special player, a special person. That, that's Those aren't problems, uh, or at least those are you know champagne problems. Uh, so uh, we'll start there. Yeah, we, we've had initial dialogue with him, his age, and all those things. Uh, we'll factor that into the planning, but again, it really starts from the player, the person, and, and we'll work out solutions from there on. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. That was the Vikings general manager. And Jared, you have a question about Kirk Cousins? Um, it's sort of more about the quarterback situation where he's just like, yeah, we have champagne problems. He's a great guy. He's going to be coming back. Who's in the biggest, like, precarious situation with their quarterback this offseason? Like, is it the Ravens because they don't know if they're going to get Lamar back, like an MVP? Or is it, like, the Jets because they're like, we got a guy, we got to get rid of him? Are, like, what team? I mean, it could be the Washington Commanders because, Jesus Christ, like, I'm trying to figure out, like, let's, let's rank these quarterback problems in order. I'd put the Ravens one because they are Super Bowl contender with healthy Lamar Jackson. They are 
if they played a whole season without him, they're probably not a playoff team. Like the, the it's probably like seven and ten. Right. The Jets are like, all right, do we win seven games with random quarterbacks or do we win nine with Derek Carr? Like, okay, like yeah, it's, it's that matters, but it's not the same as hey, we could win the Super Bowl if we have this Lamar Jackson guy. The, just the range of outcomes for the Ravens is so much bigger than pretty much any other team with quarterback questions. I just am sitting there looking at the Washington team or the Washington commanders and going, man, if you had any level of competence, any level of competence, you guys could be really good. Tampa I put <laughs> high on that list because if they get Brady back, they probably get another year or two of relevance no. and like winning the division. If they don't have Brady, they're probably just an irrelevant franchise again. Which is, I mean, they they beat the Raiders in the Super Bowl and then did what for two two right. decades? They they were yeah. an irrelevant franchise. Like it was, oh, Jameis threw like ninety interceptions that one year. So the Bucks are up there too, not because they can win the Super Bowl, but because is anybody going to Tampa if Tom Brady leaves? Like if they get Derek Carr, hooray, did, you're eight and nine. Do the Saints even have a quarterback? They got two. Are they free agents? I don't know. Like there's a lot of teams that I was just I just assumed like. Whenever everyone was talking about where could Derek Carr go, I genuinely was like, oh, there's only like three teams he could go to. And the more I think about it, it's like, there's like 12 teams he could go to. Yeah, there's kind of a lot. Um, but at the end of the day, it'll end up being like two or three teams that uh, actually that he even to, considers yeah. if there's if it's a trade on the table. By the way, you missed this, Jared. We were trying to figure out. Uh, Ed made the good point that where Carr will accept a trade to might depend on where his family like wants to live. And we were like, yeah, what if his wife just hates New York or something? But they named their daughter Brooklyn. So we're assuming they like New York enough. Oh, see, to me, that that makes me think they want to somehow play in Utah. Well, it's not a team there, <laughs> but it's possible. But that is a that is a white girl from Utah's name. Yes. Uh, but we're guessing that she doesn't hate New York since she named their daughter Brooklyn. There's not enough hate. Like I'm pretty sure didn't didn't the I can't remember the baseball player named his son Shay because he hated playing at the stadium. At Shea Stadium? Shea yeah. Stadium? So he named his kid that? Yeah. Because he wanted to hate his kid? No, so that he could like find a way to like it again. <laughs> All right. I got a soccer story for you. So Man City beat Tottenham yesterday 4-2. to Tottenham led 2-0 at halftime. Managed to blow it. First, first fun fact, Erling Haaland scored again. He has 22 goals this season. Uh, seven more than second place Harry Kane. I believe it's more than six teams in the Premier League this season. But the actual fun part, Man City comes back to win after the game, right? Players, they'll go and like, you know, celebrate with the fans, clap at them, high five them, sometimes give their jersey to a fan. Julian Alvarez went over to celebrate with some fans. Took his shorts off oh. and gave them to the fan. And I have never seen that before in my life. That's a life. pro move. <laughs> Kept the jersey on, but gave the fan his shorts and then had to go back across the field in just his underwear. What? 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 So I have a lot of questions. First off, did the fan for some reason ask for the shorts? I would say yes. Because normally the fan wants the jersey. Right. Because he's already got the jersey. He needs the, <laughs> yeah, he needs he needs the, the, the complete outfit. And the fan who got the shorts was very excited. Yeah. Very I bet he, happy I bet he asked to get I don't know, shorts. it was a man or woman. It was a guy. It okay. was like it was like a guy his age. 
Like, okay, Julian Alvarez bet he is in his twenties. He gave it to a guy in his twenties. I bet he asked for the shorts. He's. He, it would be too weird for him to do that if it's never happened before, he, unless someone. He's going to extract the DNA from the shorts, and then he's going to uh, impregnate somebody, and then his son I don't will think have that's great. That's how DNA works. <laughs> that's that's real science. My other question, because I just assumed he didn't. Ask, I assumed he asked for the jersey, and Julian Alvarez said, "Well, I need this for something else. I'm, I'll give you the shorts." So my follow-up question would have been, what does Julian Alvarez need the jersey for? Because they give the jerseys away all the time. They, it's not like they're going to run out of jerseys. They can just get another one for the next game. That's why I think he asked for the shorts. Which What, what are you doing with the shorts? I don't even know if it has the guy's name. It doesn't have his name on it. it is that might, the logo? I think it has the number and the logo, and that's it. It's kind of lame.